Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring a host of stars, including Edwin, Howard and Sheldon, Rudy Valley, Pick and Pat, Colonel Stoop Nagel, Amos and Andy, Fred Allen, and many more. One of the great comedy stars of the Broadway stage was Ed Wynn. In the 1930s, he brought his talent to the radio airwaves, where he was an instant success. From 1936, here's an excerpt from The Ed Wynn Show. Now, now, it's time really for, well, now it's time for a litter box, Gulliver. Yeah. And here's the first one from Denver, Colorado. Denver, yes. Dear Gulliver, can you tell me if the Townsend plan, which is to give a pension after you are 60 years of age, applies to women as well as men? Signed, Anxious. <laughs> Dear Anxious, the Townsend plan is strictly for men. You ought to know they'll never get a woman to admit she's 60. <laughs> Go ahead. Now, Go on, Johnny. Here's one from Bismarck, North Dakota. Bismarck. Oh, Dear I Gulliver, know that should now. a woman keep working after she gets married? Signed, Puppy Love. Well, of course. <laughs> Silly. Dear hot dog. What, what is, what is, what is, what is, puppy dog. <laughs> yes, a woman should go right on working for a living. Just because she happened to get married, there's no reason she should starve to death. <laughs> Here's one from St. Albans, West Virginia. St. Albans. Oh, I love St. Albans. Dear Gulliver, yes. here's something that's worried me for years. Yes. Why do they have mirrors on slot machines? Signed, I chew gum. <laughs> Dear under the seat. <laughs> yes, I'll tell you why mirrors are on slot machines. They're on there so that when you put a penny in and get sore because you can't get any gum, you look in the mirror and see how awful you look and you calm right down. <laughs> During the ten years that Rudy Valley hosted the Fleischman Hour, he presented more stars on the air than any other entertainer. Here's Tom Howard and George Sheldon on The Rudy Valley Show. No. And I'll just bet you $10 I can make you say, oh, no, I have Now, wait a minute, George. You're going to make me say something that I don't want to say? Absolutely. Oh, you're going to make me say what? Oh, no, I have Go ahead. Well, how much do you right. bet? I'll bet you $10. Oh, all right, put the money up there. Here's mine right You want to bet me $10. You're going to make me say, uh, go ahead. Oh, go no, ahead. I have Yeah, go ahead. Now, pay attention now. I'm listening, yeah. Are you walking down the street? Yeah, well, go There's ahead. There's an automobile coming along at about a 40-mile cliff. Well? And it hits an old lady and a young man and knocks them to the sidewalk. Yeah. Now, you happen to be there. Which one would you pick up first? That old lady or that young man? Why, certainly the old lady, of course. Oh, Tom, you've heard this story before. Oh, no, I haven't. Ah. Well, wait a minute, George. Wait a minute. There's a cat. There's a cat. There's there. no cat at all. Wait, uh, you lose. George, wait, George. Does, does Rudy know? I don't think he get, does. Get him down here. Get Say, him down. Rudy. Oh, Rudy. <laughs> got another idea here, Rudy George. Got another idea. I, I'm going I'm to bet you you can't pick up the old lady. Oh, what? what? Uh, no, I, thanks. Oh, no. He means that he's going to make you say, oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, I'm going to make you say, oh, no, I haven't. Rudy. Let me get this straight. Now. Yeah. You're going to make me say, oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, I'm going to bet you $10, Judy. Okay, here's my 10. You All mean right. it was your 10. All right, we let George hold the thing. If you don't mind. All right, Tom, now go ahead and make me. You ready, Rudy? Right. Well, here it is, Judy. Down the street, an old lady is running 40 miles an hour, and she knocks over an automobile. Oh, wait a minute, Tom. Wait a minute. No, that's wrong. The young man knocks down a young what lady. What is he talking about? Tom, what? an automobile comes along and knocks down an old lady and a young man. I got it, I got it. Uh, an automobile comes along, Rudy, and knocks down an old lady and a young man. Now, you're standing on a corner. Which one would you pick up? The old lady or the young man? 
Why, Tom, I'd pick up the old lady. Your fans will love you for that, Rudy. So, but just a minute, Rudy. You've heard this story before. You bet your life I have. Hey, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Louis. Two more stars who were popular on early radio did comedy routines that I think were well ahead of their time. From the Maxwell House Showboat program in 1935, here is Pick and Pat. Look here, I just got a letter from my Uncle Nicodemus. Well, uh, what does your uncle do? Well, uh, he don't raise hogs. <laughs> hey, the fool you, I don't care what he don't do. What I want to know is what he do do. Well, I just told you, he makes his living by not raising hogs. Last year, the government paid him $1,000 for not raising hogs. Oh, yeah, I see. If you go into the not raising hog business, the government pays you. Yes, yeah, certainly. And my uncle, he needs me to help him not raise the hogs. Mm-hmm. Well, how many hogs don't your uncle raise a year? Well, uh, he don't raise about 500. Yeah, well, for not raising 500 hogs... He, he got a thousand dollars? Yeah, but next year he, go, he, he, he is not going to raise a thousand hogs so he will make two thousand dollars. Oh, and he needs somebody to help him. Yeah, he said if I come out and help him, he will not raise more hogs than anybody in the world. <laughs> well, he certainly picked the right man not to help him. Yeah, <laughs> I say he did because I never raised a hog in my life. He will tell me this. What kind of hogs don't your uncle raise? Oh, well, he don't raise anything but the best. Mm. <laughs> well, tell me this. To not raise those fine hogs, what don't he feed them? Well, for one thing, he don't feed them corn. Why not? Because he is also into not raising corn business. <laughs> oh, is that pretty good, too? Pretty good, son. That's better. Well, if he's getting along so good, why don't he not hire you to help him not raise hogs? Well, he explains that right here in his letter. Oh, he do do it? Yeah, hear what he don't say. Yeah, well, what does he don't say? Go ahead. Well, he don't say to me, he say, You know, Pat, for 20 years I have been raising hogs, but I could never make any money till I went into the not raising hog business. Yeah, I see. But somehow it ain't the same around the old farm without no hogs. He missed them. Yeah. I used to love them little hoggies, but now it looks like I won't never see another little hoggy again as long as I live. But if you come to work for me, everything will be all right. Everything will be... Wait a minute. Do he mean... I ain't gonna take that job. Here's another comedy team. They began broadcasting in 1927, but they were strictly radio stars. And just two years after they went on the air, by 1929, they had the most popular show in the country. Of course, I'm referring to Amos and Andy. We hear them in a sketch with motion picture star Walter Houston. Well, I didn't know that we was out of gas. We must have a leak in the tank or something. Yeah, where in the world is we? Here we is, a hundred miles away from Los Angeles, up in the mountains, done lost our way, and we're out of gasoline. Well, the thing for us to do is to go to this house down here and have the man let us use the telephone. Well, here's the house. Yeah, there's the man's mailbox with his name on it. What does that spell? Say on the mailbox, W-A-L-T-E-R-H-U-S-T-O-N. Go ahead, go ahead. Knock on the front door. Yeah, well, wait a minute. I hear somebody coming. How do you do? Uh, how you do, sir? Uh, how you do, sir? Uh, Mr., uh, 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 could we use your telephone, please, sir? Well, I'm very sorry, but I don't have a telephone. Could I be of any assistance to you? 
Well, we got on this road out here in front of your house, and we run out of gasoline, and... But I, I think I could let you have a little gasoline. Yeah, so well, we'll pay you for it. Oh, that's all right. Let's walk out here and go around in the back. You boys don't have a can or anything, do you? I know, so we ain't got nothing, but we look around and see if we can find something. Yeah. Oh, here's one you can have. Yeah, you can keep this. Well, this show is nice of you, mister. Yeah, but we won't pay you for oh, it. Oh, no, that's all right. You forget about that. Sit down there. Uh, how come you live up here in the mountains by yourself? Well, I'll tell you. You see, I'm in a business that, well, it's... It's a sort of a nerve... It's sort of nerve-wracking. When I'm working, it, it feels like I'm on a merry-go-round. Uh, you work in Los Angeles or Hollywood or someplace yes, like that? Yes, I've worked in Hollywood quite a bit. When I finish my work, well, I... I just have a feeling that I'd like to get away, so I come up here and enjoy this little place. You know, I find that if a man will get away from his work part of the time... Just think, without the turmoil of worry, going here and there, well, it does you a lot of good. Yeah, that rest do anybody good. That's what I preach all the time. You know, boys, when I come up here, I find that I can think better. I get something out of life that I didn't know existed. Yes, sir. Yeah, that Hollywood is a busy place, all right. Yes, Hollywood is a busy place. And I guess a lot of people think it's sort of a playground. But a lot of people work awfully hard in Hollywood, and I've seen them, I've seen the work there drive them almost insane. But boys, this little place up here, well, I think every man in his heart would like to come to such a place someday and spend some time. Of course, some people might not like the dead silence of the night or the quietness of the day, but I love it. Yes, sir, I love it. Yes, well, mother, we'll get going now. And before we go, I want to tell you how much we thank you for giving us the gasoline. It'll save us a long walk, all right. All right, boys. Well, good luck to you. Yeah, good luck to you. Goodbye. Thank you very much. You know, he's one of the nicest fellas I ever met in my life. His face kind of made you feel at home, didn't it? It sure did. Yeah, there's the mailbox. What's that thing on there again? W-A-L-T-E-R-H-U-S-T-O-N. Nice fellow, wasn't he? He sure was. Sometimes I wish I hadn't married. All my wife does is nag, nag, nag. What happened now? She keeps telling me I should get SGLI insurance. Night and day, day and night. SGLI, SGLI. Then you haven't signed up for SGLI? Right. You don't have security and protection for your family? Yeah, right. And you're not buying the lowest cost insurance found anywhere? Uh, Right. And you aren't taking advantage of SGLI's new rate, which is 15% lower? Right. You know what you are. What? Wrong. Colonel Stoopnagel had a unique style of comedy. Listen to this excerpt from 1938, and you'll see what I mean. Now, another example of the simple life is 90-year-old Herman Heisler, a South Norwalk farmer. Why, at 90, is Mr. Heisler still in perfect health? Because every morning, rain or shine, he gets up at 5, hitches his wife to the plow, and is back in bed by 5.30. (laughs) Most of us agree that our health depends on our food. And one English scientist, a Mr. J.J. Titchborn, never eats solid food, but advocates a diet of milk. Or in his own words, he says, quote, shoot the liquid to me, John boy, unquote. <laughs> However, some of our authorities insist that health does not depend on food. Leader of this school of thought is the eminent French physiologist, Robert Jacques Rochambeau de Flaubert, who once remarked, it ain't what you chew, it's the way that you chew it. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Flaubert has written several other song hits, too, including My Heart Belongs to the Smithsonian Institute. (laughs) Now suppose we delve a bit into the history of health. Who invented health? 
Where did it originate? Is health here to stay? How do you spell health? <laughs> Let us consider for a moment the findings of Dr. James K. Willis. Dr. Willis took four white mice, whom we shall call A, B, C, and D, for those who are not their names. <laughs> to mice A and B, Dr. Willis fed uh, barley, raspberry jelly, and gluten bread. But to mice C and D, he fed barley, raspberry jelly, and gluten bread trimmed. <laughs> With what result? With what result? Mice A and B are sluggish and cannot even perform simple sums in arithmetic. But mice C and D are brilliant conversationalists and mingle in high society. And when I saw them last, they were wearing tails. <laughs> but to bring my little talk on National Health Week to a close, I now demonstrate a most amazing scientific achievement. A machine which enables us to hear a human heartbeat amplified many times. I place the microphone of the machine to my chest, thus, and now listen to the heartbeat. <laughs> well, either the machine is broken or my heart has stopped. My, my heart is, my heart. Hey, hey, is there a doctor in the house? Jerry Colonna has been a comedian for over 40 years. Do you remember his routines with Bob Hope during the 40s and 50s? Well, here's Mr. Colonna's first radio appearance. It was on the Fred Allen Show in the late 30s. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have another vocal treat in store for you. Tonight, we present the first surrealist uh, opera singer. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Jerry Colonna. How are you tonight, Jerry? Very well, thank you, Mr. Allen. I, uh, <laughs> nice of you to flatter me there with the prefix. But uh, I uh, wanted to ask you for a long time. I haven't heard you sing since last year. You come from up home, up around Boston, don't you? That's right, Mr. Whereabouts? I come from Boston, from but Boston, I uh, huh? spent a little time in Dorchester. Did you study voice up there? Yes, I did. <laughs> I heard your concert. I heard that you are a graduate of the Baldwin Locomotive Vocal. <laughs> well, I'm not going to get confused any farther, Jerry. I'm just going to ask you what your first number tonight is going to be. Well, it's entitled, You're My Everything. You're My Everything. You're going to give a, a, an impression of an operatic tenor, a little askew, singing You're My Everything, right? That's right. All right, thank you. Newscaster Walter Winchell had the nation listening to a Sunday night radio program during the 30s and 40s. His classic style of newscasting has never been equaled. In the mid-30s, Winchell had a feud, in a comic way, of course, with orchestra leader Ben Burney. Here's how it went. 
About yourself, as usual? No, about you. Well, remember, there are ladies present. Would you care to split a microphone with me, Ruby Lips? <laughs> I'd love to. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's get him up here, Mr. Winchell. <laughs> Mr. Winchell is holding his hands up to show you he has no knife. It's in my back. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, unaccustomed as I am to public peeking... <laughs> I'd like to have a peek under that mask. Here, no, you don't. None of that, Waller. Take it easy. Ben, I know I've said a few things about you in the paper and on the air. Perhaps I shouldn't have said them. Well, I've always tried to say some nice things about you, but I couldn't think of any. <laughs> oh, that's all right, Ben. I know how hard it is for you to think. <laughs> I used that one last season. Tell me, how did you like the Phantom Troubadour tonight? I don't know. I haven't heard him. Well, our time is almost up, Waller. May I say a few last words? Your last words would be a pleasure. But... Ladies and gentlemen, the last thing you've just heard is not the Phantom. This young man is Bobby Baker, the well-known radio impersonator. During the broadcast of The Real Phantom, whoever he is, Baker was making a personal appearance at the Hippodrome in Cleveland. And 50 will get Bernie 100 if he can prove I'm wrong. And another thing I forgot to tell you about it, ladies and gentlemen... Edgar Bergen's son, Charlie McCarthy, also participated in feuds, but with almost everybody, Don Amici, W.C. Fields, and Charles Lawton. Here's Charlie in 1938 with the great profile, John Barrymore. The fellow's dying to meet me. <laughs> After all, why should I talk to McCarthy? He's the insidious individual who is most responsible for tearing down the glorious traditions of our theater. Talk to McCarthy. Bah! That's going to cost him. First, first was a rodent by the name of Mickey. And now it's a piece of unfinished lumber by the name of McCarthy. <laughs> bah! Baba! I raised him. Charlie, will you please be respectful? This is John Barrymore. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Barrymore? I'm sorry. Me me meeting you is is the greatest thrill of my life. It is? Yes. Oh, maybe I was wrong about you. Yeah, yes, it, it is a thrill. Now I can tell everybody I've met the brother of Lionel Barrymore. Charlie, will you please be careful? Don't you realize this is John Barrymore? Oh, John Barrymore, yeah. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I did. Well, I knew I heard the name somewhere. <laughs> Mr. Barrymore, are you interested in the theater? <laughs> a shame, a splinter like you. Hardly out of a sawmill. With the sap not yet dry behind your ears. <laughs> Lay off, Macduff. <laughs> Another extremely funny comedian from radio's heyday was Baron Munchausen. His comedy routines kept a nation laughing. This is a guest shot from the Rudy Valley Show in 1939. You tell some remarkable stories, Baron. That last one was so fishy it gave me a haddock. Yeah, now, Baron, I wasn't... <laughs> you see, the Baron makes the jokes now. You see, you see, uh, uh, you see, I think you stopped. What did you see? I said your last story gave me a haddock. <laughs> That's very finny, Mr. Valley. Uh, now, when I was in South America, I... I know. You dived down to the bottom of the harbor in Rio, and there were Lou Holtz and I playing casino while Bill Spargrove kibitzed. 
Honestly, Rudy, I don't know how you can stand there and lie like that, you know? Forgive me, Baron. So you were in South America. How was the swimming down there? Oh, now, that's better, Rudy. Swimming down there was pretty rough until I got past Miami. You uh, swam to Miami? <laughs> sure. You see... It's unbelievable. I made, I made very good time, too. You know, <laughs> shark was pushing me. You see, I... I still don't believe it. What do you see? I still don't believe it. Then the shark swallowed me. You see, so... A shark swallowed you? Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Where do you think I found you from? And now, maybe you see it in the newspapers tomorrow. Then I got... Uh, then I got my now, second now, mate. just a second, I... just a second. Do you want me to believe that you swam all the way from New York to South America? Well, I would prefer it. Well, I... I'm not going to believe a thing like that. Rudy, if you ain't going to believe a thing like that, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of trouble with the stuff that comes later. <laughs> you see? So I, uh, I, I swam and I swam. I, I saw one wave over a thousand feet a high. A thousand feet yeah. high. And, and yes, sure, it went up in the air a thousand feet and it stayed there. It stayed there. Yeah. <laughs> was a permanent wave. <laughs> you see? You see? So, so one day, listen to this. You've got to listen to this. This will kill you. <laughs> I hope. Listen, uh, so one day, so one day I was swimming, and I and I looked up, and there was a school of dolphins swimming ar- along eight feet above the water. So Who I... ever heard of a school of fish swimming above the water? Yeah, this was a high school. You see, uh, so I was. You think I believe that? <laughs> You think I care? So I swam, and I swam. I swam for 42 days and 42 and 42 days and 49 nights. And finally... Now wait a minute, wait a minute. 42 days and 49 nights? Yeah. What about the other seven days? <laughs> I took Sundays off. You see, so we... I see. What did you do on Sunday? I went swimming. What I did on Sunday. Now, please, leave me alone, will you? So finally, I got to South America, and I went ashore into a terrible South American jungle. And, Rudy, I didn't have any gun or knife or anything. Well, and there was a great big mountain lion. I pulled out my gun and with one shot, I killed him dead. Now, Baron, you just said you didn't have a gun. So I killed him with a knife. You also said you didn't have a knife. Did I say I didn't have a pin? No. (laughs) So I killed him with a pin. (laughs) I I brought that mountain lion back here with me and I'm going to stuff him. No. Yes, I'm, I... You see, I'm going to stuff him. I'd like to see that lion. I'm willing to have it stuffed for you. Yeah? <laughs> no, I'll do it myself. Why don't you let me do it? <laughs> the Baron does his own lion. <laughs> Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. Are you one of those who take for granted the liberties and freedoms granted you as an American citizen? Take the freedom to choose your own occupation. Our democratic free enterprise system opens the door for the responsible and industrious citizen to find the job or business which best suits him. These freedoms granted to you cannot be taken for granted. All freedoms must be cherished and protected. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.